Please be seated. Okay. <laughs> well, hello again. It was about uh, two, at this point, maybe two or three years ago, I was uh, sensing in the life of our community uh, to give you a sense of scale. We fluctuate. You know, the, the campus. If Williamsburg feels very transient, how, mu you know, how much more so is a college campus? But our, our community fluctuates uh, between anywhere from about 80 to 120. Uh, lately, we're probably about 70 to 80 active members. If you count in the once in a semester kind of folks, uh, um, maybe upwards of about 100, 110 folks. So um, it's, a, it's a decent size. Certainly for New England, it's a decent size. And about two or three years ago, I was, um, I'm going to read the passage, don't worry. Um, uh, it, about two or three years ago, I was getting the sense that we were um, weak, if you will, in, our, in terms of our understanding, not only our practice, but our understanding of prayer, um, it's r the root motivations uh, for a Christian's prayer life, um, certain practices. Uh, I would kind of invite people to pray, whether in leadership meetings and Bible studies, and it was sort of like a sprint commercial. Uh, you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> um, there was a sense in which people were kind of mustering up the courage after the 30 to 90 seconds or so of awkward silence before somebody uh, spoke out. Um, and, you know, loving the students to death, even when those who would kind of dare uh, to call out, the, the articulations kind of, I was like, I don't, you know, that interesting way of articulating uh, their sense of spirituality, their relationship to God and, and to one another. So I got to thinking about it a bit, and it had nothing to do with uh, their students. It had everything to do with their campus minister <laughs> and what he was modeling or, or failing to. Um, and so uh, I just kind of put my foot down uh, two, you know, summer or summer and a spring uh, ago um, and just said, well, we're going we're gonna to think about this. We're going to think about this because Eddie needs to think about this for Eddie's sake and for the sake of Eddie's wife and kids um, and his relationship with with Jesus as well as um, uh, the life of our community. So we took last fall and we worked through the Lord's Prayer um, essentially line by line. Uh, reading between the lines, I've got about 36 points uh, to cover in about 28 and a half minutes, so buckle up. Um, <laughs> uh, this is unfair, um, but I wanted to um, uh, help our community think about, well, what Jesus and the Bible uh, teach uh, the people of God, uh, the church, um, Christians on campus about how to interface, how to communicate with their Lord and Savior. So without further ado, Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 15. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. King Jesus, we thank you for these precious words, uh, for the love, the grace, the truth, and the glory possessed within them to instruct to challenge, uh, to edify your church. We pray that you would do those things. Uh, Send your spirit. We pray in your mighty and matchless name. Amen. So don't worry, I've got three points. 36 points are sandwiched into them. (laughs) Um, But uh, to kind of whittle it down, I'm kind of looking at the first half here verses 9 to 10, which is sort of the light speed half of the Lord's Prayer. It slows down after that with uh, our daily bread. Uh, Forgive us our trespasses, right? Slows down. Um, I'll I'll do a little bit with that, but most of this is going to kind of um, hunker down on the first two verses, uh, which give us a broad vision, uh, an overarching picture um, of the glories of God. Um, prayer, uh, then, um, isn't fun. Just hang in there with me. Three, three points here. Prayer isn't fun. Prayer isn't Zen, right? Uh, the, the Buddhist thing, a system of values and practices to sort of tap into one's inner peace. That, that's not what prayer is. <laughs> prayer isn't fun. Prayer isn't Zen. And prayer isn't weak. I'm coming at it as a, in a negative way, I realize. We're going to talk a lot about what prayer is. Um, But just to set some contrast, prayer isn't fun uh, in a superficial way. Prayer isn't zen, uh, and prayer isn't weak. Lots of people want to have fun. Uh, I want to have fun. You want to have fun. Girls just want to have fun. Uh, To steal a verse from Cindy Lauper's Immortal. I mean, when that comes on the radio, do you not want men and women, right? Do we not find the inner 80s within us? Um... Um, it's fine just to want to get away, to cut loose, uh, to, to let your hair down. Um, uh, it's fine to take breaks, um, uh, to take breaks from work, um, and to catch your breath. When it comes to prayer, uh, we have to find a different gear into which uh, we shift. We have to have um, a different kind of frame of mind uh, when we enter into um, talking with God. Um, um, it's sort of, if you uh, think about it, uh, when I'm talking to my students, uh, to think about prayer as fun, uh, it, it's sort of like thinking parenting is fun. Sure, uh, there are bright moments, uh, not when you don't make it to the hospital delivering your third child, but you know there are uh, enjoyable times. Um, But there's so much more to the wide variety of experiences as a parent, because I have just come to know in the last five years, since we have a three preschooler, right? Uh, Parenting takes stamina. It takes patience. It takes love, uh, energy. Uh, You you don't have to sleep right. You don't have to eat right. You don't get to do any of those things anyway. (laughs) Um, um, uh, uh, It it takes kind of this long-running thing, especially in the early years, and then an extra measure of repentance and humility when you realize you don't have love, 
you don't have patience, <laughs> you don't have repentance, you don't have humility, um, and kind of, kind of um, turn those things over uh, in your heart and in your soul and in your mind. And just parenting is fun, uh, kind of minimizes, uh, definitely minimizes the experience of it. Uh, students struggle with prayer. Um, I, think, I think a lot of the expectation in college, uh, work and ambition and all that thing, is also to have fun. And prayer just doesn't uh, come with that fun territory. Um, struggle, of course, is just a mild and indirect way of saying uh, they just don't. Um, these struggles run deeper um, than just misplaced expectations of fun lives. Um, they come with a prevailing culture that bombards them with what, uh, well, the, with the irrelevance of God uh, to their daily lives. Uh, it comes with uh, deeper sorts of things like disappointment with God, uh, suffering, uh, with guilt, with shame, with fear, inadequacy, stress and anxiety, insecurity. Um, prayer goes by the wayside because of a spiritual self-sufficiency. I don't need to rely on God. Sure, I believe in him. Sure, I, mean, I rely on him kind of, on the, kind of in the external realm, uh, how I present in RUF. But deep within, I can pave my own way. And this, sorts of, this thing uh, gets students into trouble, and it comes to a boiling point. Uh, where they come and ask to meet with me. And it's that typical, I get the sense, they want to sit down, and it starts with, Eddie, I just fill in the blank. Uh, Eddie, I just have a big problem, and I need to talk with you about it. Uh, Eddie, I just can't stop, fill in the blank. Failing in my classes, uh, getting uh, angry at my friends, at my roommates. I can't stop getting involved in one scene or another that they know in their consciences uh, God informed that they shouldn't be involved in. The answer, of course, is not so simple, but it runs deep. It is powerful um, that they need to know God as Jesus taught uh, who he is, was, and always will be as our Father. Our Father who is in heaven. Just to rewrite the words of scripture, that's always a good exercise, right? Uh, to give us a sense of the dystopia apart from the grace of God. Um, this prayer does not start with the God who is in heaven or a God who is in heaven. Our God who is in heaven mixes with it right, an imminence and a transcendence Certainly the glory, uh, the high and lifted up state, but that second person plural, possessive pronoun, our, Father. <laughs> and though the problems and the disappointments and the suffering can get so mingled and complex, uh, a tangled web, as it were, Oftentimes, it's just repeating again and again and again that by faith in Jesus apart from works, by faith in Jesus apart from everything sorting itself out in terms of a person's circumstances and their upbringing in life and, the, and the, the situation in which they find themselves academically, socially, or even spiritually, externally speaking, that uh, God has poured out his love upon them by faith and faith alone, a simple faith, a faith that runs deep, a faith that is 
powerful, and everything else will kind of nibble at them and pull them and call them to uh, be distracted away from bringing the gospel and the sovereign grace of God into a burning focus in their imaginations and in their consciences. One writer is absolutely brilliant. I wish I could uh, take credit for this, but he says to read the Lord's Prayer through the eyes of Jesus, to experience the things that Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, uh, historically, so right then and there, um, through the eyes of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, um, temporal yet eternal. When Jesus says, our Father, at what cost is he able to bid his friends to do so? What price is on his mind that he is going to the cross uh, to pay so that they can lay claim to God in heaven uh, as their Father? When Jesus says, hallowed be uh, your name, how much would it cost him? The totality of humanity's sin juxtaposed to the totality of the holiness of the name of God, all the penalties that that incurs falling upon him. When Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, how can not the fully uh, attentive reader of scripture not think of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, <laughs> prostrate to the ground, shedding tears of blood, saying, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus's work and his death and resurrection were exactly to hallow the name of God, to usher in the kingdom of God, to make God's will known, not only in heaven, but also on earth. That was my paraphrase of what this one commentary was saying, and it's absolutely brilliant because it's so bathed in Calvary, uh, in the cross, that as Jesus is teaching them how they are to pray, the claims that they are to uh, make with their Father in heaven, he has in his mind, front and center, his crucifixion. And he does not stutter. He doesn't pause. He doesn't hesitate. Um, but he gifts to them this precious, historic, timeless prayer. Historic Christianity has honored a timeless prayer uh, that they are to remember that God, who is in heaven, the church can lay claim to him as their father. There's no abject subservience here, uh, but a profession. There's not this sense where the prayer life needs to be conjured up by the better parts of our will and our discipline. But we are to flee to him, professing nothing, other than, uh, nothing but the fact that we come empty-handed, absolutely needy. We come bankrupt. Even our, 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 our best deeds, our most articulate prayers, and I'm in public ministry, our most articulate prayers, all the while can be kind of just covering over a private life that's prayerless. He doesn't demand or extract um, prayer programs from his people. But to think he's a God who's promised us in Jesus to always abide, to never let his people go. Then true prayer flowers, not as a program not as this artificial, superficial, religious thing, but it just kind of pours forth. <laughs> Who cares when the preacher calls for a time of prayer in the leader meeting, right? It's always on our minds. Uh, we, see the, we see the world, we see one another, we see, our we, we see our fellowship, we see our community, we see our coworkers, our neighbors, through the eyes of Jesus. And even if we're talking with them about mowing the lawn, there's something of the mind of Jesus 
that we come, we, we behold the world around us, small, medium, and large, through his eyes, with his intentions, informed by his love. That's the sense in which I'm saying prayer isn't only fun. Far more than that. And prayer isn't Zen. It's not about inner peace. People can hear me, uh, visitors, particularly RUF, uh, you know, I wouldn't say plenty, uh, but uh, enough in terms of folks who are either familiar with Christianity or curious about Christianity who, who visit us and they hear about um, this profound message of free grace and say, I want that. Um, that, I always wanted somebody to abide by me, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, kind of getting burnt in a, in, a, in a bad romantic thing that went sour in middle school. I mean, okay, <laughs> is that really something like, akin to getting burned? Um, or otherwise, uh, in terms of their family life, their, their, their past church life, um, they, they say, Eddie, you know, this is exactly right. I want a relationship. I want, I want a person. I want a, a powerful God to abide with me and not let me go. This is what I've always been looking for. Um, how do I get that, right? Um, one thing I have to be careful and, and, and careful to communicate, uh, it's not this sense of inner peace. Um, the, the, the Buddhism thing, right, uh, has really kind of run... Uh, a rough shot over kind of prevailing culture, at least at Brown. And uh, everybody wants inner peace. Administrators want inner peace. Faculty want inner peace. Everybody talks about inner peace. Um, academia is a stepping stone to inner peace, this, uh, arriving. Um, and that's just not what the sovereign grace of God is, right? Because what happens immediately when a person inter- interacts, interfaces, encounters with the unremitting, unmitigated love of God, lavish it, lavished down by the windows of heaven, what happens, right? They immediately want to reflect that to others. There is a self-forgetfulness where we kind of become conduits. Um, and it has nothing to do with us. And so it's, very, it's a very pastoral thing. Um, for kind of new babies being born, as it were, uh, spiritually speaking, to help them think through. This is not what, uh, uh, community is not about supporting me all the time and buttressing my inner peace. And those who kind of take away from that, I just kind of cut them off and go to the other side of the room when I come to gathering or when I come to Bible study. Um, Rather, what we do is we reflect that. We go to work. And that's the sense in which we've been talking in RUF about uh, prayer as activism. Prayer is uh, hard work and activity that we do kind of ply the better parts of our will and discipline thoroughly garbed in God's free grace by faith in Jesus that is simple and profound apart from works. But we work harder than if it was works driven. (laughs) And to pastor and to communicate that very uh, carefully. Have you heard of extremophiles? This is kind of plugging into the long-term goals for RUF, particularly at places like Brown and RISD, hardworking folks, 24-7. Extremophiles uh, here are organisms that thrive in physically or geochemically extreme conditions that are detrimental to most life on Earth, to all of most, uh, most all of known life. Some live by hydrothermal vents deep at the bottom of the ocean. They're what they, scientists call chemosynthetic, rather than photosynthetic, because there's no sunlight where these critters dwell. 
They use sulfur compounds, particularly hydrogen sulfide, highly toxic to most known organisms to live. They are known to withstand temperatures above 200 degrees Fahrenheit and as cold as 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Apparently deep under the ocean, on the ocean floor in these hydrothermal vents, there are just long swaths that are flagging about. And they are the elementary uh, components of a complex food chain at the bottom of the ocean where the sun can't shine. Um, there is no doubt about it. Uh, New England, uh, the brown and RISD environment. Certainly there are parts that are hostile to true spirituality, true spirituality that's mildly put. Um, rather than fear it, or whine about it, <laughs> or just kind of go on uh, sifting our, our fingers, strategizing. I quite have come, I, I, I've come to like it. Because with adversity, there comes opportunity. There's a ton of risk, no doubt. But isn't, can, you, can you not kind of sense it with me, the opportunity? For a small, for a fledgling, for a growing, uh, we are growing, we're deep, deep uh, not so much why, I mean, in, in numerically, sure, there may be some growth. Influence, certainly. I'm happy to talk with you about the details. But, um, you know, a, a small-ish, and if you bring in the other campus ministries, still small-ish, percentage-wise, of the Christian population. Um, but is that not a great opportunity to train, to equip, um, to turn our students into bacteria? Not really, but, you know, to give them a sense of resilience. <laughs> in all the loving ways that I can call people germs. You know, uh, 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 chemosynthetic, to kind of live and to breathe and to move their being uh, um, in hardship contexts. I mean, some of them go to uh, cities that are very well, um, you know, populated with churches, um, lively churches, great, but some of them go to, to, to parts of the world that are not very, you know, uh, you can't find a Christian on the street. Uh, by one count, three or, three or four, five years ago, I think it was, I, I, I identified about 25 different cities at RUF alumni from Brown and RISD. Uh, not, not Brown and RISD students, but RUF alumni and Brown and RISD students were, were living and working and having their being. But is there, not, is there not a great opportunity to kind of wire it into them with all the uh, appropriate safeguards, grace-based, gospel-centered, a resilience and an ability that... Their environment feeds on them, and their influence grows, even in small ways, loving their neighbor, developing a Bible study, joining a church planning team. Um, prayer in that regard is hard work. We go to it tirelessly, ambitiously, believing in whatever way, small, medium, or large, and my particular, I mean, my, alum, my, my alum friends look at me like, you're still back there, you're, you're still in Providence. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm, in. you know, these folks are out making lots of money, change, you know, changing the world, redefining the industry, innovating this, that, the other thing, uh, uh, um, um, pushing back the, the, the darkness of social injustice, and they're all doing these great things, and here I am, kind of X small. <laughs> I quite like what I do. But to help our folks look at the world as if it was the harvest, uh, fields ripe for the picking, and to go at it with a tireless spirit as much as they would their high school advanced placement exams, and their MCATs, and their LSATs, and their GMATs. Uh, the point about prayer isn't Zen. The moment you encounter Jesus is never ending, 
I will never leave you commitment. That's the moment you start demonstrating it in every part of your life, or even if you know that the parts of your your life that are inadequate in this regard, but you want to, and you put it on your 37-year plan of sanctification, right? (laughs) To steadily kind of push back within your own consciousness, within your own practice, within your own work, the residue of unfaithfulness. Lastly, and we'll uh, wind it down here, prayer isn't weak. There's a lot of overlap, right? 36 points, there's a lot of overlap. Prayer isn't weak. My friend Todd, best friend, lifelong friend, known him 20 years. We met uh, in boarding school days. I'm one of those, boarding school brat. Exeter Academy, New Hampshire, started 10th grade, 1995. Yes, so Todd and I were in the same dorm. Todd uh, and I took the same classes. We were sort of the same type of nerd in boarding school. We were not the cool crowd. Um, Todd and I spent a lot of time together. We liked to bike together. Um, Todd was never the sort uh, to really entertain Christianity as a plausible, right? Let alone believe in Jesus, right? Um, But entertain it even as a plausible worldview. We would have uh, fights, arguments about it. Um, I would try and talk to him about the nature of evil. Uh, I would have these abstract things. I mean, what can you do as a high schooler, right? Um, um, I I went to Brown. Todd went to Stanford eventually. Uh, Todd worked at Facebook. Um, He is, uh, by his own description, a uh, self-made millionaire engineer. He doesn't work there anymore. Uh, He didn't actually like the... Todd has dabbled with everything. Um, Ayn Rand was a big thing for him in high school and college. Um, the, the technology as the uh, hope of the future, sort of drinking the Kool-Aid of Silicon Valley, he did that for a little bit. Chaos theory was his explanation of the divine, just the, the uncertainties mathematically speaking in terms of the universe as we know it and not. Um, infinity was something. And I've got to tell you, just, it was like a month and a half ago, I have the email in my inbox, 20 years the subject header, religion, parentheses, of all things. <laughs> um, he says this, paraphrase, this is with his permission also. Don't, lest you think an email you shoot me one day ends up in a sermon in Williamsburg. I get everybody's permission, I swear to you, but the, this has nothing to do with RUF. It's everything to, <laughs> with God and the Bible. Uh, Eddie, I hope you're doing well. I've been experiencing a kind of spiritual awakening these last few weeks. Never heard those words come out of Todd Perry's mouth. My central concern is that the consensus of the power brokers in Silicon Valley, which is trickling down mightily these days, seemingly includes a belief that they have reached beyond the path of evil. And yet it is obvious to even a non-believer like me that they are acting out in ignorance of their own capacity to misunderstand, to do harm, and to be sinners. That view has led me to start reading the Bible. I suspect the Bible has at least one really big ingredient right that Silicon Valley has got very wrong, dangerously wrong. I'm wrestling with how to think about interpreting and following the Bible. I feel myself starting to embrace and accept my own capacity for self-deception, hate, and sin. This is verbatim. And the commensurate redemption that is possible through divine glory only. And I smell the the inherent arrogance of my desire and intuition here. And he followed up with that email talking about he thinks he's received Jesus, but he would not call himself a Christian yet because he doesn't understand what those terms mean. He's started going to church. Um... 
Now, Todd and I have some history. There are four moments that are hilarious, uh, just to kind of set more context. Um, Todd would be sitting at his computer, he's a CS guy, um, and he's at Eddie one night at, in, in, in uh, boring. So Eddie, you got to check this out. It's, it's a search engine. It's called Google. I was like, Google, <laughs> whatever. Um, 995, right? Um, second moment, uh, Todd, uh, Todd emails me, Eddie, you got to, you got to, you got to, this kid is going, so Todd went back to, he taught a little bit. And he's like, Todd, uh, Todd emailed me and said, this guy is going, you, you've got, let me tell you about this guy. I'm like, who is he? Mark Zuckerberg. Never heard of him. Um, <laughs> the third email I sent to Todd, uh, Todd, I'm getting married. He picks up the phone, he calls me. Uh, the, the fourth moment is, Eddie, I'm a millionaire. I pick up the phone and I call him. <laughs> um, all, all the time, we'd be talk, I'd be trying to talk to him about Jesus. It'd end up in a fight. It was not at all. I was not. Per, this is not. I'm not. This is not the paragon of evangelism. Um, but I did pray. I did hope, languish. I showed the email to my wife, and she's like, "Who is this? And what has he done with your friend Todd?" <laughs> um, prayer is not weak, is it? It is chock full of twenty year. 20,000 years, I mean, it, it, there is power in it, and it's not, it's not the, the, the prayerful person, it's not the activity, it's, it's, it's the God <laughs> at the center who is this churning dynamo of grace and of mercy, of truth, and it's glory if we can put it in a battery, right? Emmett Brown, <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts. I mean, we could get a man, we could get a person to Mars in a day and back, <laughs> And that's not even scratching the surface. It's powerful enough to resurrect the dead, is it not? Prayer is not weak. God is not irrelevant. Um, he is raising the dead. He will triumph. That is not a, a, a license for Christians to be triumphal. But he will triumph. He already has the cross. He is now in your life and mine. And he will, <laughs> in the end, triumph. King Jesus, we confess, I confess on behalf of all of us, we are unworthy. Uh, Father God in heaven, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, uh, your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Amen.